Uh, the passage that I want to read, because I want to just re- reiterate a couple of things over the next few weeks, and just thinking uh, about what the Bible is actually saying about the eldership. And today, it's, it's the, as the title is up there, it's What's the Big Idea? And I'm going to base that around Titus chapter 1. Uh, Titus chapter 1, and I- I'm going to, to read the, the first nine, nine verses. Well, uh, Uh, Yeah, I'll read the first nine verses. Let's hear God's word. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And we'll end at verse 9, asking that the Lord would add his blessing to his word. And maybe let's just pause in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, as we have read your word today, we we come as people who need the help of your Holy Spirit to help us to see, help us to understand, help us to apply what we have just read to our own lives and to the life of our congregation here. And as we are thinking specifically about what it means to be a leader within our our congregation so that we might be more informed about how we actually uh, approve and, uh, and vote and nominate our, our leaders. So, Lord, we pray that you would lead us and guide us in our thinking today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing how time has passed by. Uh, it's, it's almost two years since I was uh, overseas on uh, a mission trip uh, to Kenya whenever I was acting as moderator and having the joy of visiting some of our missionaries in Kenya. One of the most memorable evenings was going to a very, 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 what we might say is the most remote aspect of that trip, going to a little place which was simply called Seren. Not that there's much there. There's a an enclosure where sort of a, a wider family uh, lived and some more scattered families are around and about. But there, our missionary Stephen and Angelina Cowan had built 
a girls' dormitory there, a girls' dormitory which was necessary because they need a place of safety and security where they're able to, to live during the week and not to come under the pressures so that they are able to have an education so that they are able to go to school. So it was great just in this hugely remote place just to see that work. And as we were, and, and that night we were literally staying out in, in the, in the, under the stars, uh, camping outside without even a tent. But before we were, were sleeping that evening, we walked down the other side of the hill from the, the girls' dormitory into a traditional uh, enclosure. Uh, this was a, quite a large area, uh, probably about the size, I think, of, of our church car park. Uh, and within this large enclosure was the wider family uh, living in traditional Kenyan uh, manyatas, the, the little tiny, tiny, tiny homes in which they, they live, and all of their animals would have been in there. Uh, I think I mentioned that we were visiting here as it was getting very dark, and as we were sort of peering into and into some of the homes, and all that we had was the, the moonlight. And as I was saying before, it definitely was very dark, but that's significant for this detail. Um, all the animals were in the enclosure, and the only way that we were able to avoid stepping on the stuff that animals leave behind is because the moonlight was able to glisten over the surface of what we were about to walk on, because it was so dark that you couldn't see where you were setting your feet. But Stephen... Our, our, our missionary there said, actually, William, you don't need to worry about that at all because the stuff that's glistening is only marginally older than all the other stuff that you are already walking on. Now, in that situation to look after animals, you, you either need to have good boots or you have to have wonderful skills to know exactly how to herd the animals. And I'm talking about this this morning because the Bible describes Christians. The Bible describes each of us as sheep. And if you did know anything about sheep, I suspect that there's very few people in here actually do, but you will know that sheep are messy sort of creatures. They leave plenty of stuff behind them as well. And what the Bible is by inference saying is that we, we as individual believers, we are messy too. We have got broken, imperfect lives. There is not one of us here that we can say that there's something good about me or how I've got my life together is that all of us have this idea that we are messy and sometimes we wander off. And that is why the Bible says we need shepherds because we need people who will look after the flock. We need people who will go and chase and bring us back and help us through all of that messiness. And that's what I'm going to try and look at over the next couple of weeks. And specifically today, it's trying to answer that question, what is the big idea of the eldership or being an elder? We're going to use this passage. I was reading from Titus. And you'll be aware that where Titus was, it's mentioned there in verse 5 that Titus was in Crete. And the thing you need to know about the Cretans of this day is that they, they didn't have a good reputation. They were immoral. They were 
renowned across the known world. If you look down, actually, to ver- I think it's in verse 12, which is beyond, slightly beyond where we w- were reading ourselves. But here's what is a well-known statement about what it was saying about the Cretans of the day. It says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Say, it's not saying something terribly favorable about these people. And this is the place that Titus is now sent there to establish this church which has already been planted. In essence, what Paul, as he writes this letter, was concerned about is if this is what society is like, if society is full of these messy people with messy lives, broken lives, described in the way in which they are here, Paul was concerned that those same Attitudes, those same lifestyle habits, would actually begin to come into the church and influence the life of the church as well and the individual people in the church. So Paul was concerned to try and promote Christian godliness in all of these little individual churches on this island. And if there's anything that we can really summarize this, all this about, what Paul was trying to say is that I don't want Christians simply to be known as Christians, but I want Christians to be known as living as Christians. So, I think I said it last week, is that when it comes to voting for elders, this should not be rocket science. This should be easy because elders should have already, or prospective new elders, should have already identified themselves simply by being who they are and that you're able to see that in them. So if your job as a minister was to speak to a younger minister about how you might establish the church in an area like Crete, what would be the first thing that you would say is necessary to do? And my guess actually is that you wouldn't do what Paul was telling Titus to do in this situation. Because once you go past the first four verses, which is simply him saying, hello, the very first thing that he tells him to do in verse five is, and this is the most important thing for the life of the church, the thing that you need to do first off is to appoint elders. That's how essential this really is. So we're going to try and look at what we actually think elders are for. And the first thing that I'm going to say is that elders are for discipleship, for enabling growth in the Christian believers within the church. That's what Paul is essentially saying to Titus in this verse. He says, you know, I want you to go back to that church, that church that we planted, that church where there were initial converts, and I want you to go there, and I want you to see that elders are really important for the growth of that church. So Paul had evangelized all these people. There had been converts, but there was nothing there to enable them to grow. You'll remember what Jesus said about how the church was to grow, that what you were to do is that you were to go into all the world and make disciples. And you were to baptize them in the name of Jesus. In other words, the local church is so crucial that Jesus Christ himself, when he spoke 
to his followers, wasn't interested in a Christian, in one individual Christian who acts like a lone ranger and goes off and does his own thing. But Christians are always within a wider body. We are part of a gathering. We are part of a community. We are part of a community that is accountable to one another. We, we, we help one another. We motivate one another. We hear the word of God together. We, we, ex- we show the love of God to one another in what we actually do. And elders will enable that to happen. So elders are to enable growth or it's discipleship. Or the other thing, and I think this is the key of all that is happening here, is that elders are to be an example. And if you remember nothing else of what I'm saying today, I think this really is key for everything that happens here. And you'll see Paul explaining all that. Cast your eye down to verse 6 all the way through to verse 8, and he is simply unpacking what it means to be a good example. Because here were people who were tempted just to do what everybody else was doing in the society around them, but Paul was saying, I want you to be different, I want you to live differently, and you are going to show that by actually how you live. So they were to be an example. And he, and he gives a really definite edge to that. Because one of the things that he says here is that elders, in verse 6, elders must be blameless. Now, I don't think he's suggesting that they're sinless, because none of us would fit into that. But I think what he's getting at there, and as he begins to unpack that in the next couple of verses, is that the tenor of his life, the general direction of his life is God-honoring. That's what we're really getting at here, and that elders are for the purpose of fostering godliness, and they do that by being a good example. There's another really well-known verse just a couple of pages back, If you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and often it's thinking about that in terms of younger people, but it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I know that when we are called to live a Christian life, we do that before God and that we're all accountable before God about how we live and that God will call us to account for that one day. But there's also another audience that's hinted at here in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12 where it talks here about you being an example for the believers because other people are watching and looking at you. And if I try and we drill down a little bit more about what that might mean for eldership here in this place, and for all of us now as we come to vote and choose new elders, there should be, as I've been saying, something so obvious about the lifestyle, about the behavior, about these people that we know who they are because we can see their example. See, the qualifications for an elder is not to be a superb administrator. The qualification is not to be wonderful in business. It is that you are an example, and you will see that. You will see it clearly in what they do and in the attitudes 
and in the priorities that individuals have. You know, I, I suppose I've been, it's coming up in 25 years, and a couple of months' time that I have been uh, one of the leaders here in this church. And so often I think, what does it actually mean to be a leader? And I have a whole shelf in my study given over to leadership and what we can learn about leadership. And probably I think you can put all of that to one side and all what the, the wisdom that's in those books because they don't really talk all that much about what the Bible actually says and it's about the power of presence, being present, the power of demonstrating, the power of being an example. You know, if I give a further examples of that, if I really believe that the Bible is important, and if I believe that the Bible should impact my life and my behavior and my attitudes, I just don't need to shout about it. I don't need to tell you about it. I just need to show you that I believe that the Bible is important. And you will see that in the priorities then that I set, so that you will see me worshiping in a context with other people where the Bible is given prominence, where we are meeting around the Bible. So you will see me gathering with other people to meet around God's word because I believe that the Bible really is important for our growth and our development. So you, you should be able to see that. And furthermore, if I believe that prayer is so utterly important and that by the power of prayer, the church will either fall or grow, then you will not simply hear me shouting amen to that, but that you will see me praying with the church. Because I will believe that it is as the church begins to pray together that we see the blessing of God. So again, our leaders should be people who are committed to praying and not only praying as individuals, but praying with the church here in this place. You will see that. And if you're not seeing that, there's something wrong. And if I furthermore believe that Jesus Christ is the sole hope for the world and that it is only through Jesus Christ that any man or woman can be saved, then I cannot sit comfy in my armchair. But you will see me exhorting other people. You will see me encouraging other people to see that Jesus Christ is so important that you need to encounter. You need to know Jesus. So that will be part of who I am, that I want to encourage you to see these things. Now, if we believe that, I think that does a couple of things for us. On the one hand, it will get us to pray for our current elders because they're the ones who should be demonstrating these things. And you need to pray for them that they will continue and to do this more and more, that they will demonstrate all of this and that they will show their leadership through who they are and every possible degree to do that. But... As we're thinking about choosing new elders, you should be praying right now that God will be working in the hearts of our prospective new elders so that they know that this desire is not simply a human desire, but it's a, a desire that God has placed within their hearts and that they, in time, will become what God intends them to be. So pray that this, what we've been reading today, becomes a godly aspiration. 
And there's another thing that comes out from all of this is that actually what Paul writes here in, in Titus isn't exclusively for elders. And the reason that Paul writes this for elders is actually because this is the sort of stuff that should be seen in every individual Christian. Because this is what a Christian is. This is someone who knows that God is in their lives, uh, in, in their life, and it is because of that that they want to be different. So they should be showing people what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so there's a sense that as we've read all these verses this morning, we should be setting these verses alongside our own lives and asking, what does this say to me? How does this challenge me about what I claim to be so that I am not simply claiming in word only to be a believer, but that you can see that in my life? So how, does, how do these verses impact? Well, how did that impact my behavior yesterday or my behavior last night? How is it going to impact what I'm doing in work this week? This is what it's saying. Don't just speak about this. Do something about this. And maybe another thing that elders are for, and it's mentioned in verse 9, is, of course, is that elders stand for truth. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who hold it. We we don't sit idly by to the truth of God, but we are convinced that this is the word, the truth of God, the life-giving truth of God, and it, that it has gripped us and that it, it wraps us up and that it describes who we really are. And we're able to show that to others. And maybe in summary, and maybe pulling back from all of this, what are we learning from this passage about what is essential to being a leader in God's church, an elder here in this place, is that, yes, you will be someone who wants to see God's people growing. And to do that, you will demonstrate that. You will be an example. People will be able to see that these values are important to you and that ultimately you will be an advocate for truth. And Paul, as he's writing to Titus, is saying, by placing godly leaders like this into the congregation, the entire congregation will grow. And the entire congregation will grow in love for one another. And that there will be an expression of what it means to be a Christian and how a Christian lives in the workplace, how a Christian lives in society, that there will be Christ-likeness and that there will be a love for truth. That is what elders are for. So that's something that we need to pray for. We need to pray that our current elders and our elders-to-be will be who God has called them to be and that they are vital for the life and the spiritual health of this congregation because the spiritual attainment of this congregation, the spiritual depth of this congregation will not rise above the spiritual attainment of the individual leaders or elders here in this place. And that's why it's important that we choose the right leaders. People, it says there, who know the truth, who are examples about what it is to know the truth and want this congregation to grow and they grow themselves 
as believers and following Jesus. Let's just pause in prayer. Lord, sometimes when we read these words, they can be deeply challenging, particularly for those in whose hearts you are now working as you have been revealing to individuals that this could be something that they could be called to. Lord, may we not be afraid. May we not be daunted. But may we see the opportunities and the challenges and the opportunities for growth that you have set in front of us. Lord, we do want to pray for the future of our congregation here. We want to to pray that Jesus Christ continues to be glorified and honored and that we will see growth. We will see growth as men and women come to know and love Jesus here in this place, that you will add uh, to the numbers of those who who have been converted and those who, who rejoice in the salvation that Jesus has achieved for us. So Lord, we pray for a day of new beginning. We pray for certainty. We pray for your leading and your guiding in all that we would do. God, we are weak. We are all imperfect. But we are in need of the grace, the restoring grace, the empowering grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, work in all of us, we pray. Amen.